you know, there's no real reason as to why vitiligo can happen. You've got this condition, it could spread and um, it could take over your whole body. There isn't treatment for it. You can try a treatment at King's College Hospital, but it may not necessarily work. How do you digest that in at the age of 20? How does one possibly digest all of this in at the age of 20 when your whole life is ahead of you? You've got your career ahead of you. You've got your life ahead of you. You've got your whole future in the palm of your hands like a ball of putty. And all of a sudden, you're being told that you can change, your skin's going to change. That's going to obviously have a massive impact on your life. I didn't know which way to turn. Jyoti Gata Ora was diagnosed with vitiligo at a young age, but she's turned a difficult situation into a fantastic body positivity movement. As a spokesperson, social media advocate and consultant, Jyoti's working hard to create a positively diverse and more inclusive society. I loved chatting with Jyoti. I was so inspired by her journey and her drive to create confidence in people who didn't fit the traditional beauty ideals of our society. More power to Jyoti. Sharam, I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some incredible women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. Hello, and welcome to Masala Podcast. Today I have with me Jyoti Gata Ora. Jyoti has been a teacher for many, many years. She's been very visible in the media. She's done fantastic work over the last couple of years on vitiligo and kind of other skin conditions. I've been a huge fan of her work. I've been following her. I love what she does. And I really, really wanted to speak to her. Jyoti, welcome to Masala Podcast. Thanks, Angita, for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Jyoti, can you tell me a little bit about how all this started for you with your diagnosis of vitiligo in 1999? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yes, Angita. Uh, so I was diagnosed in 1999 and uh, I noticed a white spot on my left arm and I didn't really know what the white spot was um, until I came back from Spain. I was studying in, in Spain in the south in Granada doing a year abroad in Spanish. Um, that was part of my degree, Spanish with French. And I came back and noticed this white spot and it just started spreading and I just didn't know what it was. Um, and my family are from a medical background, so they were like, you know, let's 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 check this out with the GP and see you know if they know anything about it and actually 20 years ago the GP was fantastic because the moment she saw it she said it's vitiligo and I said sorry she said this is vitiligo it's a it's a pigmentation disorder and I was really surprised that she knew about it because um I had asked a few people about it and my family had asked a few people but no one really knew what it was so for the GP to confidently confidently sort of say this is vitiligo um it almost just kind of like um gave me that peace of mind okay so we know what it is um I don't think that reassurance stopped at that point really I think it's from that point where things just um just became a can of worms really to from that date you know when I was diagnosed it was a real roller coaster yeah. of emotions because to hear those words it's vitiligo it's probably never going to go away she said and in fact 
it will probably spread. Wow. How did that feel? So, you know, GPs are very professional in what they do. Um, she was, I felt she, at that time, she was very cold in how she delivered the information. But it was a matter of fact, mm. you know, she was delivering that information. It's vitiligo. It's pigmentation disorder. Um, you know, there's no real reason as to why vitiligo can happen. You've got this condition. It could spread and um, it could take over your whole body. There isn't treatment for it. You can try a treatment at King's College Hospital, but it may not necessarily work. How do you digest that in at the age of 20? How does one possibly digest all of this in at the age of 20 when your whole life is ahead of you? You've got your career ahead of you. You've got your life ahead of you. You've got your whole future in the palm of your hands like a ball of putty. And all of a sudden, you're being told that you can change, your skin's going to change, that's going to obviously have a massive impact on your life. I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't know which way to go. It was almost like I was trapped in this maze. You know, if you picture a maze and someone's trapped and they can't get out, that is exactly how I felt. Gosh, that's really, really hard, particularly at that kind of age, you know. What about, what sort of reactions did you get from friends and family within the South Asian community? So, Sangeeta, as I was dealing with this condition, it took me many years to actually digest and understand what was happening to me. So I didn't tell anyone. I cut off from close friends, family, cousins, everybody, because for me, that was my way of dealing with it. And at that time, it felt like the best way you know, nowadays, whenever people come to me on social media and they need support, oh my gosh, you know, with open arms, I'm there to support them. And I would never recommend that as a solution, cutting away from the world and cutting away from everybody around you, because that only made things worse for me, which is why I'm very much against that idea of keeping those thoughts suppressed. Um, but I did, I kept it, I kept it hidden because I didn't really understand the condition and I didn't want that judgment. And I thought maybe, you know, I was hopeful that actually maybe one day it would go away and I wouldn't have to explain myself to anybody because actually, Sangeeta, this condition, as it just appeared, might just disappear. So I had that tiny bit of hope inside me. And also I had that tiny bit of hope that actually there is a treatment out there, but that treatment could work for me. Why is that treatment not going to work for me? So I was very much like, well, okay, I'm going to keep this to myself. And my family were, were like, okay, fine. Um, we're not going to tell anyone about this. And as I did that, I was trying to understand the condition. I was trying to research about it on the internet. You know, at that time, Sangeeta, the dial-up for internet was so slow. And when you actually got, got onto a page, you know, you would only have one page of information. And that would be like some, um, you know, PhD report on, you know, vitiligo and statistics and, you know, information that would be so hard to understand because there were so many medical terms in there. So um, I kept it to myself and I didn't really tell the community and family. So there wasn't really a response because no one knew. And actually, having said that, um, the pigment was so little at that time. It was just like tiny little spots, you know, tiny little spots that would just appear. So it was something that at that time I thought, okay, you know what? I can manage this for the moment. Yeah. I can kind of cover it up. It's not so vast spreading. It's not yeah. so sort of visually apparent. Yeah. I really wanted to talk to you, Jyoti, about what it is like to be a South Asian woman growing up with these ideas of beauty. And perfect skin. You know, we've all watched Bollywood films, you know, all the heroines are like, they look a particular way. They're fair skinned, long haired, you know, tiny waists and hips, and they all look perfect, right? Airbrushed. So what was it like for you growing up as a South Asian young woman at that point and looking at all of these 
kind of Bollywood versions of what beauty was supposed to look like? What did that feel like? I was never really into Bollywood movies, but, you know, I saw the traditional ones, the the really big ones, Kalnok, uh, Holnahor, um, Vizara, all those, those really nice movies at that time. I did went through a phase of watching them. And yeah, you know, I did kind of like look and think, you know, um, everyone looks the same. For me, there was no differentiation or um, difference in anybody because they all look the same. They all um, had the same statistics, height, weight. Uh, you know, everything, features, it was just very, very kind of similar. Um, I never really felt any um, kind of real desire to um, watch these movies because I really felt like that there wasn't anyone that looked like me or anyone that kind of represented someone that was different. Um, so I kind of went off that. Um, but it was only until I got married um, when I started to look into wedding wear and bridal wear and makeup artists and clothing, when it really hit me. And this is something I've never spoken about on any podcast or in any magazine or newspaper, actually. So I'm really glad it's come up. But when I got married, that was a time that really opened my eyes. When I started buying magazines at Asiana, I started buying magazines to see the types of clothing that I wanted to wear on my wedding day, to see the types of jewellery, how what makeup was done. And every single bride in there had been, you know, modeled, uh, positioned a certain way, looking a certain way, beautiful makeup, just beautiful looking. And I thought, how am I ever going to look like this with my skin? You know, it was almost like the reaching the unachievable. It was almost like a dagger in my heart. I'm never going to look like that. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, right, I'm going to try the best I can because when I got married, I hid my vitiligo. So I got a designer to make my lenga um, so that it would be, you know, three quarter length sleeve and it would, you know, cover me up in a modest way. But I did at times look at those magazines and I I did at times look at those images thinking to myself, will I ever look like that? And that's the kind of pressure I feel really strongly against. Because if we're creating this pressure with adults, what kind of pressure are we imposing on our young people? And I've worked in a school for so many years. I've worked with young Asian girls as well, because there are quite a lot of Asian girls in my school. And, you know, they struggle so much with how they look. Um, you know, in fact, all the girls do. It's a girl's school I'm at, you know, how they look, how they dress, like what pictures they're putting on the internet. And if we're going to be presenting, you know, young people in our society with these kind of images, then they are never going to be able to achieve this look. We're going to be causing more depression, more self-harm, more anxiety is going to be on the increase. And actually, Sangeeta, according to, you know, um, many, many sources, anxiety is massively on the increase. It's up by 50% in young people, you know, not only has, you know, this whole last year situation of COVID heightened all of those emotions, but we don't need the additional pressure of how to look as well on top of that, do we? Absolutely. And just taking off from what you've said, with particularly young South Asian people, if we grew up with this idea of what perfection looks like, and we're all supposed to look like this, and nobody looks like that, you know, even the models don't look like that. <laughs> you know, it's all airbrushed. Hey, Sangeeta, I'm getting there, though. I'm getting there, though. Look, I've got the fair skin, you, you know. Have. So I wonder what Bollywood would say about <laughs> Look, I've, I've turned, you know, from the from the dark brown skin to the pale white skin. So does that tick a that box? That absolutely ticks a box. So I want to say for all our <laughs> listeners that 
Jyoti is just showing me like this, put her arm up and show me this really white elbow, which then makes me think of all these Bollywood songs so, of like oh Gori Kalanya and this, that and the other. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, now I'm now 90% white. Hey, hey. I will be approaching Bollywood and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm there. I'm your woman. <laughs> Cast me in your next big Bollywood production. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about your journey, Jyoti. Like I love um, reading about how you went from being this young woman who uh, wouldn't even open the door. You were that self-conscious about how you looked to this whole journey of acceptance and self-love and feeling amazing in your skin and your body and getting up and telling the world about it. So what happened? How did that happen? You know, Singita, these things don't happen overnight. At least they didn't for me. Um, some listeners um, who are tuning into this right now might think, actually, my, my, for me, it did happen quite quickly. But actually, for me, it took 20 years, 20 years. So, you know, Vitiligo started when I was 20. I'm now 43. And I would say only in the last five years has my life dr- dramatically changed for the for the best, for the better. And, you know, I think there are so many things I've done. I'm going to come from a different angle on your podcast to talking about, you know, what kind of things have got me there. Um, and I think, you know, I think the power of communication is so essential because when you start talking about, you know, something that you are finding really challenging, you realize there are so many people out there who are going through through similar situations. And when I started off my 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 account, my Instagram account, it was a vitiligo in me. My account's now positively diverse. I've rebranded because there are so many people I've connected with that may not have vitiligo, that have a different skin condition. Um, a lady today just posted something about her psoriasis and how she was wearing um, a low-cut top showing her psoriasis. And I said, oh my God, I can resonate with that because just, you know, 10 years ago, I wore a, lo- a low-cut cut top um showing off my vitiligo on my neck and you can see that Sangeeta I've got vitiligo all on my Mm. neck here and so these are kind of little steps that you know there are so many people out there who've got other skin conditions other visual disabilities and you know everyone is in the same boat we're all you know trying to support each other so for me you know it's very much been a case of supporting other people um with this skin condition um and as I've been supporting them with their visual skin condition, it's really kind of empowered people on my platform to start talking about it more. Um, and consequently, you know, I've, I've written for quite a few magazines and done, you know, gone, done some radio shows about visual skin conditions and raised awareness. Um, and I think all of this work that I'm doing, um, trying to sort of highlight and talk about the importance of you know, feeling represented in society, feeling part of society is making a small advance forward, is making that small step, you know, forwards, um, which I think is essentially so important to get a better understanding from society and about how people perceive others, you know, because I really, really do believe, I think the core of it comes down to when you educate other people and talk to them about things openly, only then do they have a better understanding. Yeah. And my position, yeah, my position now is very much, you know, let's talk about all visual skin conditions. Let's talk about all disabilities. Let's get this topic going and, and let's raise awareness in society and the South Asian community. Absolutely. 
What I'd love to hear a little bit more about Jyoti was how did that journey happen internally for you? Because I feel like for all of us, you know, who are working within um, these activist spaces, the biggest journey is the journey that is internal, I feel. And going from being that young woman who um, was so uh, embarrassed about how she looked to kind of really owning how you look and then helping other people in their own journey is what you've done. How did that journey happen? Like what happened is what I'd love to hear more about. I think for me, um, 2016 was a turning point. 2016, I lost my father and I realized that I didn't want to continue life hiding my skin, um, you know, from the world um, when my father's life was cut short so quickly. You know, like he had so much to give after he retired. And I, Sangeeta, had my whole life to live and I was hiding myself, you know. And that really made me reflect internally on what I wanted from my life. You know, what did I want from my life at the age of 30 at that point? Is that 30? Yeah, 30, 32. What did I want from my life? And I suppose, you know, when you go through these life-changing moments and this crisis that happens, you know, that really overtakes you, overpowers you, and just really re-energizes you in this really drastic form, that's exactly what happened to me. You know, the passing of my dad made me realize I have got to live life because if something happens tomorrow, I know I have fulfilled and done everything I wanted to do. And that was the the most important thing that kind of was manifesting inside me and I knew I wanted to make a change. And actually at that time in 2016, when I lost my dad, um, BBC approached me for a um, for a documentary through the Vitiligo Society to do this documentary for TV. So I did that documentary about Vitiligo and it was a huge uh, step forwards because I was talking about it nationally on TV. And um, I think ever since then, I opened my Instagram in 2017 and I started talking about my journey. It was a process of healing. It was a process of, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I would say on one of my posts, I'm at the school gates with the school mums without any makeup on for the first time. I mean, this was a huge step for me when people hadn't seen that. So internally, I was kind of like pushing myself to make these little steps forward. Oh my God, I got in a swimming pool for the first time and I'd be sharing this. And as I was sharing, I was talking about it and people were saying, oh my God, yeah, I feel the same way. How did you do this? And I'm like, I did it this way. Why don't you try it this way? Um, you know, and then another turning point was like, you know, I went into my school that I teach in. And after 16 years, you know, I walked into the classroom and into my into my um, school office and I worked, walked into my department without makeup on, you know. And can you imagine yes. teaching in a school with 1,200 pupils knowing that they're going to first, they're going to be the first ones that are going to spot you. Even if you've cut your hair, what have you done, miss? Miss you dyed your hair. Miss you got a new bracelet. They spot every single bit of detail. But you won't believe the moment I walked into school, no one said anything, Sangeeta. Nothing. Well, I suppose what helped that was the fact that I'd done the documentary. A lot of them had seen it. So they understood it and those questions were answered. It took the pressure off from me. So from that point, my life just started feeling so different. I felt different inside. I thought, wow, you know what? I can go into school in front of 1,200 pupils and I can be myself. And then my school started to ask me to do these motivational talks to all year groups. I was like, oh my God, I could change their lives. 
Like, yes, I would love to do this. So I did motivational talks for all year groups from the younger ones, seven to the age of 18, right throughout the school. It was amazing. Wow. Amazing. And these girls would write to me. They'd tell me, miss, oh my God, you just make me feel really confident. You make me feel like I can come to school and be me. Oh my God, isn't that amazing? How empowering. Yeah, how empowering. For me, I will never forget those days of changing those students' lives, knowing that they are 1,200 students that are going to go out into the world with a different perception of not judging. And that is an amazing feeling. That is absolutely incredible, Jyoti. I mean, that's just, wow. You know, that's so powerful. Such a powerful thing to do. That's incredible. And I, you know, to this day now, you know, I mean, they do really admire me. And I I know that they kind of look up and think, wow, you know, if Miss can do it and she can come into school and feel confident about what she does, then, you know, so can we. And so many of them now, like Miss, we just feel really secure in ourselves. And I know because that has really um, impacted on their lives. Growing up in India, I remember that it was only a particular kind of woman who was considered beautiful. Someone with fair skin, someone with very long dark hair, someone who was skinny, someone who was sexy. Our biggest influence back then was Bollywood, of course, which had a lot of gorgeous women, but they were beautiful in a very specific way. I didn't think I was beautiful. I didn't think most of the women around me were beautiful because Bollywood taught me to think that. Then there were all these women's magazines. All the models in these magazines looked exactly the same. You guessed it. Tall, fair-skinned, long-haired. So what about someone who didn't fit that narrow stereotype? Well, we didn't feel beautiful. Why is it that our idea of beauty in our culture is so narrow, so exclusive of most South Asian women? Will it ever change? I really hope it does. How has the world responded to this more confident you? You know, so I've done I've done a few projects that have been really motivational. And I, I mean, last year was London Fashion Week. I took part in that um, as a diverse model. Um, and again, you know, like I never, ever would have seen myself as someone, you know, pretty enough to do or take part in something mm. like this, you know, um, because... You have a vision and society has a vision of what you have to look like to be part of this. So when you tell people, wow, I was part of this London Fashion Week, you know, you are going to get people that look at you and think, how did she manage it? But how? How? But really, how did you manage that? You? You? You know, and you know that's what people are thinking. But the world is changing. The world is evolving. And there is... You know, there are so many wonderful, wonderful advocates out there. I'm going to be sharing some of those advocates on World Vitiligo Day, but there are wonderful advocates out there who are doing similar things to me and sharing their journeys and talking about what they do. And honestly, like we are making a change. Change is coming. Change is slow, but change is coming. I do feel, though, I do feel slightly upset that the South Asian 
media and uh, culture is advancing a little bit um, at a slower pace compared to Western society. Like I feel that when we talk about Bollywood films and we talk about Hollywood films, we talk about the difference in, you know, diversity. Hollywood's, you know, is having, you know, representing and having more diversity in the people that appear in those films. But I feel like Bollywood is still at the same place it was. I mean, the themes might have advanced, the topics might have advanced, the way they film has advanced. But in terms of people. I don't think I see much of that. I agree with you. And I think not just Bollywood, I think in kind of mainstream South Asian media. um, I was in India recently and I spent kind of four months there. Mm. It is very cookie cutter. All the women look exactly the same. They're all kind of young and sexy in a particular way. You don't see older women. You don't see uh, people who look any different, men and women, actually, you know, they're all a certain way. So I don't think that change has happened yet. And I wonder if it's because of that, that within kind of British South Asian media, we don't see particularly people who look differently either. So I think that change is very, very, very slow. Um, it is. And is it because the Asian culture is ashamed to portray? Do they think ratings will go down because people don't want to see this? Um, because if they if that's the mentality that people have, which I believe it is, very old traditional mentality yes. that they have, and they think their viewers want to see this, the new generation are changing. They need, they're going to have to change that. Um, I mean, like you said, change is coming. You know, whether you want to yeah. deal with it now or later, you will have to, right? Anybody that's mm. creating content. And, you know, and as a mother, I mean, I'm not going to encourage my children to watch Bollywood yeah. films. Uh, I, I, my, my, my culture is so important to me, Sangeeta, and I uh, grew up with a strong culture and I want my children to have that culture. And it is, you know, part of it is watching movies and things, but I don't want them to see films where they just don't, they, they, they make the, those films, the films are going to ultimately make them feel insecure about how they look or how they dress or, yeah. you know, they need to behave in this way. I, I, I just feel so strongly about yeah. that as a mother and as a teacher. I, I just feel like that's not the way that I want to educate my children to you know, because body image is such a huge part of, of life today. It, it It's changed so much from how it was 10 years ago. Now, when my children are in their teenage years in 10 years time, what is it going to be? Is it going to be even worse than it is? How do you think, Jyoti, we can change this conversation for young people? Like you said, body image is a huge thing. And with social media and the pressures to look a certain way and the pictures that are sort of shoved at us every single minute of what we're supposed to look like, how then do we change or even start to change things for young South Asian people growing up in the UK now? I really believe that the key understanding comes from you know, comes from at home, like ultimately, like when a child is growing up, they're growing up within the surroundings of their parent or carer. So naturally, they're going to be influenced a certain way, uh, you know, um, pr- provided with, you know, knowledge and information and education from their families, right? So, you know, when a child is growing up, that's where that information is coming from. As that child then grows up, you know, and goes to school, school then has that impact on that child's life. Okay, so we've got that factor as well. So we've got parental responsibility and education. We've also got schools, um, you know, um, input and support. And then coupled with that, you've also got media, the media um, knowledge and influence that is impacting young people. Yeah. What about 
changing things within South Asian culture. What what do you think we should do differently as a community to make it more acceptable to have different types of people with different types of bodies and skin and, you know, that are all within the culture and feel part of the culture? You know, I feel like traditionally there's been a sense of exclusion if you don't fit a certain kind of look, you know, as a South Asian woman, particularly. What do you think we should do to change that? How can we change that? Two things. First, we need more representation within the media because we need the media support to highlight and to educate people about this and normalize these conditions. Um, and secondly, we need everyone to be themselves because if we cover up and hide, we're only going to create and continue this vicious cycle of hiding ourselves, not being true to who we are. So I really believe in those things. You know, we have to we have to have the media support in highlighting this so that people understand. We need like podcasts like that I'm doing with you, whoever's listening to this can maybe resonate and understand and maybe they're going through a change within themselves and they think, oh my gosh, I've hidden this for so many years. You know, maybe I can start talking about it. And then secondly, like I said, it's really about us coming to terms with what we have, but being able to feel secure enough to be able to say, this is part of me. This is part of me and, and I can't change it. And if you like me or not, that that's you know whether you like me or not it's it's, it's your problem but th- th- this is me and and th- this is who I am and I, I'm not going to change myself I can't change myself to just fit in with how society wants me to be that's beautifully said um I wonder if you could go back to something you mentioned earlier about the BBC three um, documentary that you did in 2018 misfits like us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and how that changed you? Because it producer, sounds like it was quite a big moment in your life. It was. Um, the producer was, um, it was a fantastic guy. And he's, you know, he said to me, wow, you know, you're one of the slightly older contestants coming onto this. And we want you on because you're a mum and, you know, you've got different life experiences. Um, and he said, um, you know, we don't hear much from the Asian community and, it, you know, we'd really love to have you on. And I remember sort of thinking about that those words stuck with me we don't hear enough from the Asian community we don't have enough people talking about this and I and I felt really scared about about taking that step because I thought gosh you know there aren't many people that are doing stuff like this going on and talking about it openly and I, I don't want to cause any hurt or I don't want the last thing I want to do is cause any embarrassment or shame to anyone in my family cultural community but all I want to do is to be able to share this experience of living with the skin condition. And as I was kind of going through the interviews with the producer, I kind of like at times I was really certain I was going to go through with it. But I remember at the last minute thinking, I can't do it, you know, because this is it. It's going to be public. Everyone's going to know about this. But it was absolutely fine, Singita. The moment that we did filming, that we did our first day's filming, I remember feeling so refreshed, meeting a lovely bunch of people on set and remember thinking to myself, it's okay this, you know, I've not done anything bad. I've not committed a crime. I've not, I've not done anything bad. I am just talking about my skin. Like this is nothing serious. It's just something that's happened to me and I'm sharing it. And, um, you know, it felt really good. I remember the last day of filming and, and we all went out for drinks and stuff. And I remember saying to the other four people who were on set with me as well, saying, this is a moment that has really changed my life. I felt like I was a different person over the five days because I was talking about it. I was talking about my vitiligo with people that I I, I didn't really know, but that I was kind of being open about, that I'd never been open about my, my skin before. Um, I, I felt really liberated. It was almost like a huge 
weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Um, and that really was a sensational feeling. It really was. <laughs> wow, that sounds quite phenomenal, actually. Um, how did that take you? And I know from there you went on to do a lot of work with your own campaign, uh, which is like on me, where you share your journey. How has that um, impacted other people? I'm sure a lot, you've helped a lot of people, particularly women. Can you share a little bit about some of the stories? Yeah. Um, okay. I have got messages, so many messages in my inbox. I'm going to, I feel like reading a couple to you. So there was, um, there, there's a guy who's actually reached out to me who's um, up north in the Middle East. And he said to me actually the other day, he goes, I just don't know how to deal with the stairs. I don't know how to deal with the stairs. Can you help me out? And I said to him, listen, you know, next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pop a post on about how we deal with people's stairs and comments. Let's get some feedback from the community. Let's see how people are dealing with it. This is how I've dealt with it. Let's get some feedback. So Every time I get someone's comments, I really do act on them. Really lovely girl from France as well, who I connected with. Really lovely girl. Um, and she has opened up with me about um, intimacy in vitiligo and, you know, not finding a life partner and how in her culture it's really difficult to um, open up because there aren't people around her in her community that... Uh, talk about vitiligo they've all kept it hidden like me so even though she's got you know she's from a different um culture than me um it's very similar to what she's going through um so I gave her my whatsapp number and we've been chatting actually um on the phone which has been really nice just dropping each other voice notes and she said to me that has lifted her up the thing is Sangeeta it's so hard you know because it's such a tough condition to deal with um and I always try to get back to every single person that reaches out to me every single person that reaches out to me I will always give them a phone call people know that listening to this on my platform will know that I've done it like giving a phone call back always message back because when I was isolated and I didn't have anyone I knew how that felt mm. uh I knew how that felt Sangeeta and it was a really dark place to be in and if there's anything that I can give back to people around me now that's a little bit of my time and support knowing that that might uplift them and give them solution to how they're feeling um then that's what I will do because uh I know how it felt to be alone I know how it felt to be isolated I know how it felt to not have social media or have people that really understood You've done um, quite a few campaigns. I think one was the BBC documentary we spoke about, and then you did a body positivity campaign for Good Housekeeping magazine. So you do a lot of work. You're very visible in the media with the message of kind of, you know, it's be comfortable in your own skin and, you know, you're beautiful as you are and all kind of wonderful work. How has your work impacted South Asian communities? Do you think it has in any way shifted the focus? Sangeeta, it's so interesting because as I've been talking more and more about this, I have, you know, um, got some amazing feedback. Um, you know, I've written for articles like big magazines online, like Brown Girl magazine, um, that really kind of take an interest into, you know, the work that I'm doing. I've been working with other podcasts as well, other platforms that really take an interest into what I'm doing. And I think people like you, Sangeeta, with Soul Sutras are doing an amazing job by, you know, bringing people on like me to talk about this and talk about representation and talk about these issues that are so close to my heart. 
um, I think it, you know, all together collectively, we are really sort of pushing and driving this forward, um, which I think is fantastic. Um, but I just feel that when it comes to the actual South Asian media, like things that are in the limelight, I think that sort of that part of things is still, you know, um, taking a step back. You know, we're all underneath pushing away, getting that voice pushed further out there. And, you know, you, you know, even by you interviewing me, we're kind of kind of getting that voice out there a bit further. But kind of at the top, things aren't shifting. <laughs> and I think that sometimes it can be a little bit frustration, frustrating because, you know, you're really trying so hard to get that message out there. And, and everybody like you is doing an amazing job. But then you kind of get to that point, you're like, but things aren't yeah. shifting any further, yeah. you yeah. know, and it can be quite um can be quite soul-destroying. Like, I know that's such an exaggerated phrase. It's not an exaggeration. It's how I yeah. feel because, you know, you just feel like you're kind of really getting somewhere yeah. um, and I'm kind of getting somewhere with all these campaigns and then all of a sudden that door just closes. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't open it any further. So, you know, it'd be amazing, like, for people who are listening to this, you know, if they really feel they can resonate to any of this and they really feel like something comes out and they can identify and they they want to spread the message even further, please get in touch with me because I think it's so important that we really do spread this uh, message of feeling secure and safe and comfortable in who we are within ourselves and our community we should be able to brace each other and lift each other up and not bicker and gossip and put each other down. So we have to just live and enjoy and embrace and share and be happy and lift each other up and be seen and be heard and be you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Be loud. <laughs> Absolutely. What message would you have for any South Asian young women listening who might be a little bit unhappy with how they look or their skin or their hair? What would you say to them? If you are a young person, a young adult, a mother, a father, if you are someone in society today that is struggling with how you look, it's so important for number one, to reach out to support groups online because there are so many support groups that you will be surprised about that can support you. Now, this might be on Instagram, you know, if it's acne, if it's weight issues, um, whatever it might be, you will find a support group. You will find someone out there who is going to guide you and that person could make a huge difference in your life. Facebook is amazing. There are so many groups on there as well. So make sure you look out for all those individual groups that support people and guide people with that specific, um, you know, information as well on, on whatever the issue might be. Um, the next thing that I really believe in is speak to someone around you that you trust and that you can confide in. Now, that might be your mum, that might be your dad, that might be an aunt, uncle, grandparent, neighbour, friend, colleague, or someone at school. If you're a young person, remember your school will always have um, a welfare officer, someone that you can turn to for support, okay? And you've got to trust in them. You've got to trust in them that they're not going to, you know, go and tell other people. They're going to keep that information, support you, guide you, okay? But if you don't ask for that support, they're not going to know. Um, you are never alone in the journey that you're going through. And sometimes you might feel like that, 
Um, and when you feel alone, open Google and just type in, you know, what is affecting you and put in support group and you will be surprised what comes up. Um, there are so many mental health awareness groups as well. Sangeeta, I can provide you with links of those if you'd like to attach them to the podcast of useful um, contact numbers for young people to get in touch with as well. So I'm happy to provide those underneath the podcast. And equally, if you are struggling with body image and you want someone to talk to, come and see me at Positively Diverse. You can come and see me on my Instagram, on my Facebook, and you can also see my content on YouTube that might support you with how you are feeling. Um, Because all of the topics that I talk about and raise awareness about are related to all visual differences and disabilities. But remember, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are never alone. That's absolutely beautiful to hear, Jyoti. Thank you so much for for being as open and generous and warm-hearted as you are. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to chat with you today. Um, Thank you so much for being on Masala Podcast. And I can't wait for my listeners to hear, hear all the wonderful and inspiring, super inspiring things that you have to say. Thank you so much. Sangeeta, thank you. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode, please head to the show notes where I've listed some information about organizations which can offer help and support. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsutras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and produced by me, Sangeeta Pillai, edited by Orbis, the studio, opening music by Sunny Robertson. Besharam, Batamiz, Gandhi, Hi Hi, Bad Betty. <laughs>